Hi, everyone, and welcome to the DCRO Risk Governance Podcast, where we're focusing on risk governance issues, learning about the work of and receiving guidance from experienced board directors and senior executives. My guest today is Darlene Halwas. As a little bit of background, Darlene has a distinguished career that extends back over three decades and includes trading, risk management, and senior executive roles in foreign exchange, commodities, and energy markets. She's a holder of the CFA, FRM, and ICD designations, the latter being a certification for board directors from the Institute of Canadian Directors. Darlene serves and has served on boards dealing with diverse competitive and regulatory challenges across financial, utility, and technology markets, as well as government services. She's lent that experience as a highly valuable member of the DCRO Governance Councils that crafted the guiding principles for both risk committees and compensation committees. In 2012, Darlene was awarded the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal for her contributions to Canada, and in 2019 was named a DCRO Exemplar in recognition of her professional integrity, innovation, leadership, and service. Welcome, Darlene. Thank you, David. I'm really glad that we can talk with you today. Um, you and I have had a chance to get to know each other over the last few years, and you've got a diverse background. You've brought some wonderful perspectives to the work of the DCRO. Would you mind telling our listeners a little more about that background and then also a little focus on the boards uh, on which you presently serve? So I, I, I started my career at, you know, coming out with a, from the university with a finance degree. I started my career uh, actually trading foreign exchange uh, with a Canadian bank. And from there, moved into the corporate world and, and working with a, a large Canadian exporter. And uh, from there, moved into, at that time, because it was the infancy of risk management, um, there was a, a time when trading and risk management were actually done by the same groups of individuals. Uh, I think the shortcomings of that were uh, soon discovered. And uh, I made a choice in my next role to move into risk management because I was fascinated by the learning opportunities that, you know, risk afforded. And uh, I thought the organizations would be better served by having more robust risk management functions. From there, I have headed up risk management in three different uh, large companies and have now moved on to serving on, on boards. I currently serve on the board of a of a oversight, a television and telecom oversight body that uh, hears complaints on behalf of uh, customers uh, in relation to their service providers, uh, the Commission for Complaints for Telecom and Television Services here in Canada, as well as a Federal Crown Corporation, Canada Development Investment Corporation. So can you tell me a little bit, because Crown Corporations aren't necessarily something everyone is familiar with. Can you tell people what that means? And, and is there a difference in being in a governance role at a crown corporation as opposed to, say, a privately held company? Yes, yeah, so crown corporations, you know, get their mandate uh, from either the federal or provincial governments. And typically it's established in either an act or a regulation. Uh, that said, you know, there are different formats in terms of, you know, um, appointment of directors. Um, you know, typically on a federal crown corporation, the, the directors will be appointed by an order in council coming from uh, the government itself. Uh, and but you can have crown corporations who are not considered, you know, parent crown corporations that are actually appointed by the parent crown corporation. The one that uh, I serve on is is 
is considered a parent crown corporation, as opposed to private corporations where the you know there are shareholders. The shareholder could be you know the owner or a series of owners of shares in the federal in the crown corporation context. You know the the corporation operates under um, you know a regulatory legal framework. So are they, in effect, state-owned enterprises that might invest in infrastructure, or um, do they, you know, particularly the one that you're on, um, it seems to have a fairly broad investment mandate. Is that is that common among crown corporations? Actually, crown corporations can have, you know, a variety of mandates. There are crown corporations that have a mandate to do lending. Uh, there are crown corporations that have uh, own bridges. Uh, there are crown corporations that... Uh, you know, operate uh, various infrastructure, but they can also be on the financial side as well, right? They are ones that uh, can um, uh, assist in development of the Canadian arts. Um, so there are, they have different mandates. In, in the Canadian context, there are hundreds of crown corporations uh, that have different mandates that operate through different federal government departments. Uh, in our situation, we have uh, a mandate to operate in commercial interests, and so we do. Uh, uh, we have a, we get mandates from the federal government to um, have you know sell uh, an asset, or we could uh, actually own assets on behalf of the federal government. That's interesting. Thank you for that. I appreciate the explanation. So. Earlier you had said something about transitioning from when you were trading and doing risk management into risk management. So I think you and I probably have a similar uh, career length. We, we were in the markets about the same time and have seen how risk management has advanced from those days, as you had mentioned. What's interesting to me is now this transition that you're making to the board level in these governance roles. Given that experience you've had both, let's say, in trading and risk management, and you try and talk to your board colleagues, what's most helpful? What's most familiar to you? Is there, is there a language that works at the board that wouldn't necessarily be um, the language of risk managers? I, I, I received some great advice from uh, an old boss of mine years ago about de-jargonizing my words. So when I first started, you know, the, the good thing about moving from, you know, risk to you know, serving on boards, chances are if you've been in risk, you've actually had exposure to boards. And, you know, if you sit there and you read your audience, you can find, you know, what is, what is reaching them and what is actually not reaching them. And, you know, you figure out fairly quickly that, you know, you want to, you, you want them in the, at the end of the day, ultimately to make better decisions. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by ensuring that that you are approaching it from a standpoint of, of getting them to understand the nature of the decisions they're making, that it's going, there's going to be returns and there's going to be risks they're taking on by, you know, by earning those returns. And getting them to the point where they can speak intelligently about those risks and what they are and, and essentially set the tolerance uh, by you know, accepting the tolerance uh, then that actually is is the uh, is the nirvana. So you've got you mentioned that a lot of risk managers will have had exposure to boards and the senior risk roles for sure. What you know, how does the language that they bring into the boardroom 
affect how other board members uh, perceive it? Do they typically come in and talk about loss? You had you had just said um, returns, and if I'm getting this correctly, and the risks taken on by pursuing those returns. Does the framing in a negative way uh, seem to be typical out of risk managers, or when they're getting to your boards, do you see that this balance that you'd mentioned uh, between returns and the risks being taken, um, that that's more common? It's, it's, it's more the return risk framework versus the potential for loss itself. It's the unknown, right? You know, the, board, the boards themselves, uh, they want to understand whether or not that uh, what they're going to um, approve in turn will uh, happen. So they don't want surprises. Uh, risk will inevitably, um, if you don't talk about it, if you don't understand it, will result in some sort of surprises down the road. They might be good surprises, but they might be bad surprises. And, but there is a recognition that people on these boards recognize that if it was a good surprise, it actually could have been a bad surprise as well. So there's um, moving to the understanding that uh, risk can drive variance in returns and that uh, discussions um, are around the board table will inevitably have you know, a bit of that risk and return flow to it. Putting that in the explicit versus implicit I think is in, in important in terms of driving culture. And that is you know, kind of where you want to get your board to be. So I want to follow up on that um, in two ways, and advice related to two different um, parties. So we talked about reading your audience. You might remember the very first time that as a risk manager you had to present to your board. If you were to talk to someone who was going in, a CRO, chief risk officer, going in for their first board presentation, do you have any guidance that you could give to them um, on reading their audience? I would actually test drive it with uh, individuals who are not in or um, not familiar with the field that you're in. Um, so, for example, if you are a chief risk officer and you're going in to talk with a board, I would actually approach um, you know a, a VP of Human Resources and say, you know, do you have you know 50 minutes or, or an hour or, or two hours to sit down and I want to run through my presentation with you and, and you know, we'll have a discussion in terms of do you understand what I'm saying, et cetera. Chances are you know, you're going to get some pretty good feedback in terms of where people understood you and not under, you know, didn't understand you. It's going to the people who are non-familiar with you know, what the subject you're talking about and, and trying to get them to familiarize themselves and taking a very, a very open, uh, honest look at your presentation, I think, is important, right? So because at the end of the day, uh, the feedback might be that you know it's 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 very very technical and and uh, and you lost me, um, or it could be very positive. But you know to to take the um, the feedback to heart and and make adjustments appropriately, I think, will help with your success. And that sort of folk. Uh, forces the de-jargoning that you had mentioned, right? Correct. Yeah. So I'm a board member, a new board member, and I've got my first presentation coming from the chief risk officer. What would you advise that board member to be thinking in terms of expectations uh, from that report? What, how do you think they should come in? What mindset should they bring to 
first hearing from a chief risk officer? They want to go in with the mindset that they need to learn, right? That uh, they're not going to know everything that's in that presentation and they may not actually understand it. What What they're looking for is to see if they can get the picture. You know, do they understand, if they look at that presentation and they understand the nature of the organization and what its, what its opportunities are and what its challenges are, then that actually is a, a well-developed presentation. As a new board member, uh, I've always encouraged um, if organizations have them to look at the past enterprise risk management reports that have gone to the board because Oftentimes, you can find the nature of the organization in those reports. I like the expression, uh, can you get the picture? Uh, I think that's actually a test after a presentation or maybe a test from running, when you're running the uh, demo presentation by somebody else to ask them what they heard. What is, it that, what is the picture that, that your report conjured up? So I like that. That's a good, good expression. So in looking at your background, one of the things that's most interesting to me is that you've served in board roles across so many different institutions that have different governance challenges. And it seems to me that there's an awful lot that you would have learned um, to share with others. But one of the things that comes up to me is, is most interesting is how would you compare the boards, for example, that you're on that are not financial service companies with those that are? and the different needs that the board have in terms of, of risk governance? Uh, actually, it's interesting because, um, uh, as, you know, as we've seen in 2008, uh, the financial services companies had fairly, you know, good reporting to their boards, yet I would hazard a guess the people on the boards didn't understand them. If you looked at their backgrounds, um, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, you'd have the level of, of capacity that would allow them to effectively understand what some of those risks are and importantly under, understand the answers to the questions that they were asking, uh, you know, coming back at them. So the, I think the common element here, I think, you know, boards, you know, the Financial Services Board has, have improved in, in that in the interim from 2008. But the common element here is you have to have individuals on your board that actually understand the organization and that the, the combined skill set is such that they will allow, allow them to effectively a- ask questions and understand the answers coming back with them. So, for example, if you're on a company board that has a major infrastructure, do you have someone that has um, actually run a company that um, or being an executive, a COO, or, or a uh, senior vice president that, that actually has run a company that is in the business of the company that uh, you're on the board of, or you know, on the HR field, or in the legal field, or in the risk field, um, or it could be even on the supply chain. The, the nature of the risk when you're on an infrastructure company board is, uh, is a, a myriad of, of human risks like you know, health and safety, but it, it's environmental risks, it's um, supply chain risks. It, it could be, if you're doing um, a major project, long lead time assets. Uh, and on a financial services company board, you actually have those risks, but you're one derivative away from them, right? You're funding those companies, the infrastructure companies. So you, 
you need to understand the, you know, the nature of the risk, but you also need to understand the financial components of the nature of those risks. So there's, uh, there's that added complexity on the financial services board, but I'm not sure that, uh, that companies have actually, you know, the financial services companies have actually taken that uh, to heart. Um, and as a result, what we found is that there's more of a, of a push to uh, have a regulatory oversight to compensate for, in some cases, what boards and financial services boards should be doing. And, and that's interesting because I often think of that regulatory oversight as both necessary to protect the interests of people outside of the corporation, but also uh, a potential tax on the corporation. And that tax isn't necessary if you've actually done the work you're supposed to do, if you've actually had the fiduciary role fulfilled well. Um, so when you talk about environmental risks um, in some of the non-financial companies, I think that's a great example of where that comes into play. So right. you had hinted a bit at having certain expertise. One of the first guiding principle documents that the DCRO put together was something called the Qualified Risk Director Guidelines. And that was to help identify people who could fill roles on boards um, that have the ability to understand risk, talk to the chief risk officer, explain risk to other people on the board. Um, and if I were to put somebody's background up as a great example of that, I would put yours up. I, just, I think it's tremendous the diversity of experiences that you have, but also having had P&L experience, also having, having had risk experience. Um, and that kind of gets me to this next question, which has to do with establishing a culture around risk governance. So we know that most organizations don't have risk committees, although that's changing. What do you think would be the best first step for an organization to take at the board level if they were thinking about establishing uh, a better risk governance culture, including a risk committee? Is it to go out and find a qualified risk director or is it something um, more broad within the organization? Well, I think the, the in order to see the um, value of risk it needs to I, I it needs to be in the cultural um, aspects of it and, and in order to change the culture tone is set at the top right so you you need to drive it by the expect, expectations that are coming from the board itself so if you think about you know the all the you know proposals that come to the board for decisions do they actually have um, the risk well identified in those or are they actually embedded in the story itself well if you're if you're in the kind of learning phase on the risk management side, you, you actually, or even if you're not, quite frankly, um, you need to understand what those risks are. So you have, to need, you have to have a section that's kind of well-defined on the risk management, as well as one that's on the return side. And as you get into your, your discussions, oftentimes you'll have a risk discussion and not even realize you're doing it. But to be more explicit about that, I think, is important because it helps people understand that yeah, these are, these are risks, and we're talking about them. We're not scared of them, and they're not going to stop us from actually approving this. It might actually help us make a better decision. And so you have that risk discussion, then you have the return discussion, and then you go, okay, well, but it's obviously a trade-off. Like for these returns, you know, are we taking um, acceptable risks? Are we taking risks that this organization can manage? Um, if you start asking those types of questions that will, you know, inevitably, I think, drive better decisions. And so as you move down that continuum, you might come to a point where you say, well, it's, it's good to have it at the board level, 
but maybe there's actually, you know, a, a kind of a clearing committee that's going to help the board in making those decisions. And that would be at the risk committee in, in terms of, you know, they would have ongoing oversight for the risk of the organization to ensure that, you know, the, you know, the reporting is moving forward, that the discussions are moving forward, and that inevitably that what's coming to the board will be something that's clear, it's going to be concise, it's going to allow them to make effective and better decisions for the long-term and short-term nature of the organization. In a previous podcast, I talked to John Lukomnik, and he had talked about some reporting that goes to the board level via heat maps. And those heat maps have red, uh, yellow, and green colors on things that the board should pay attention to or not. His question was, how do you know green is green? And so he looked to functions like internal audit and other ways of validating. But if you don't have a risk infrastructure, how can you know what's yellow and what's red? Is there a way to get there if you don't have an infrastructure like that? If you don't have a, a risk infrastructure set up and, you know, which involves some sort of, uh, you know, secondary um, verification, you, you need to have people on the board that if de facto would look at that and say, yeah, I get where those risks are. Uh, if you don't, uh, then you're basically flying blind. You know, you need you need the you know you need the people on the on the board and or hopefully on you know in internal audit and, and in the risk management function that are going to allow you to effectively uh, have the tools to do that verification. It's the same reason you would do it. You know, you have audits, right? You you know you have financial audits. You have someone who's putting together the numbers, but then the board actually hires an auditor to go out and verify what those financial numbers. Why would you not do it on the risk management side? Why would you not have you know some of those checks and balances like an alternative if you're an organization that you know you know because of the size that it would be periodic things that would be you know big risk that you'd probably bring in a, a consultant or a consulting group that would allow you to effectively uh, understand those risks and give you that that comfort um, because at the end of the day what you want to do is is drive your organization forward and you know, you can only do that if you actually have the transparency that's going to allow you to um, uh, make better decisions. Well, and I think what you're getting at, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but is that, you know, the board's trying to make strategic decisions, but you make better strategic decisions if you're fully informed, or you can make terribly bad uh, strategic decisions if you don't understand the risk component to what you're doing. Is that fair? That, that's very fair. In fact, I've always, um, I've always believed that you know when you're, when you're actually talking about, you know, if you're going to your strategic offsites, that you actually need to have a, a risk discussion, and uh, to reinform your, you know, self of or reorient yourself to the, the risk of the organization before you have the strategic discussions. Yeah, so it, it, we're trying really to keep this as a positive about how organizations can achieve their goals rather than saying, here's everything that could go wrong. Um, and I think that's a really helpful way to be to be thinking about risk in the strategy uh, conversation. But if you don't talk about it, you don't have any information about it, it just isn't part of that conversation. So you've I've mentioned a few of the designations that you have. Um, one for directors comes from the Institute of Canadian Directors. And I wondered, um, do you find that those designations are helpful, particularly for people who either seek board positions or are new to board positions? Is it something you would recommend? Yeah, so I, I have the Institute of Corporate Directors uh, 
uh, designation that I took uh, back in 2012. And I would recommend, um, you know, seeking uh, some form of board education. Uh, there are a number of organizations out there. The Institute of Corporate Directors, what they do is uh, have courses that allow for uh, a lot of interaction. So the, the value is, is in the education itself, but as well as in the interaction with people who are uh, fellow board directors or and as well as um, people who have served on a variety of boards. So you get the, the learnings associated with, you know, on a number of different levels. And that actually helps you, A, orient your mind towards uh, board speak, so to, you know, as well as uh, improve um, your uh, thinking ability in terms of, of what you need to be concerned about as a board member, and 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 actually, uh, to a certain extent, it uh, allows you to, you know, network and establish a network of individuals who um, are essentially uh, uh, going through a continuum of learning, as such as yourself. And then you can have interesting conversations around, you know, books to read. And building your network and having people to bounce ideas off of, I think that's always helpful because so many board members will face the same challenges and may not feel as comfortable talking about those challenges um, with the boards that they serve on, um, but in general terms with others to get a sense for how they handle those. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's been valuable to you. So we're running up against the end of the show here. We've got about uh, one or two minutes left. Do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to give to board members or boards as a whole about how they should be looking at risk governance, um, any resources that you care to guide them towards? I, I, I actually, I firmly believe in being a student. Um, I, I think there are a lot of uh, really good resources out there if you um, open your eyes and go looking for them. Uh, David, I know you've writ written some you know, good material in that regard, but I'd also recommend that, you know, as, as along with reading, that you actually uh, work hard to understand uh, the organization itself that you're serving on the board of. Uh, you know, there's the, you know, what's presented to you, and then there's what you learn. And, you know, it's, it's things like site visits. It's, uh, it's going to uh, talk to other executives uh, in the organization. It is, uh, no, it is not being, it is being uh, bold enough to say you don't understand, you don't know, and uh, that you want to learn more. And to continually do that, even after you've been on the board for four or five years. It's also hiring the right executive. It's ensuring that um, you, are, you are getting the information that you need to make these decisions, but you're getting it from an executive who are not afraid to talk to you about it. And that kind of confidence uh, will go a long way to building the trust relationship, um, but as well to uh, effectively uh, make the organization uh, better able to withstand storms. The other thing is, and you can't forget it, and it's a, 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 an ongoing interest of mine, is ensuring your executive compensation framework is helping you uh, manage the risks of the organization in the short and long term versus hindering uh, the organization's future. 
I think that's a great point to end. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the DCRO, it's an organization, it's a non-revenue organization, it's just people who come together to help each other. And the focus is um, obviously membership is board members um, and C-level executives. But the focus is on risk governance and one of the um, governance councils that Darlene had served on focused on compensation committee risk governance. And the documents for that which she contributed are available on the DCR website, dcro.org. You can download it and it gives great guidance, in particular since you just mentioned executive comp, uh, great guidance on how to be looking at that strategically and also from a risk function or risk standpoint at the board level. So Darlene, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time today. You've given us some great thoughts um, and thank you for everything you've done to help the DCRO. Well, you're welcome, David. 